This is Sunday Focus, a weekly public affairs program that looks at the topics affecting our society and the people who are making a change in the community each and every day. The people who have vision for the next generation. Sunday Focus presents new challenges for us, keeping you informed with topics of local and regional interest. Now the host of Sunday Focus, Christine Manica. Welcome back to Sunday Focus. I am joined by the Executive Director for Reach Literacy, Paige Sarda. Paige, welcome. Thank you for having me. You know what? Thank you for being in the studio. That's pretty rare to have nowadays. People face-to-face. Probably my first in-face, in-person meeting in six, eight months, probably. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's make it a good one. Yeah. So tell us about Reach Literacy for anyone who isn't familiar familiar with the organization. You bet. Our, our primary mission is literacy, as it says. We've been an adult literacy program for about the last 34 years, so we've really focused on teaching adults how to read. Over this last kind of nine months, as kids have been home with COVID and everything else, we've really had a lot of people reach out to us and say, my kid's struggling to be a reader at home. So we have piloted not necessarily literacy programs, but strengthening reading programs. And we're doing a pilot program with Annie Sullivan that's gone exceptionally well. So we're hoping to expand that for next year. How long ago did this program start? You said 34 years ago, but right. what made this program become what it is? Yeah, originally when we when the program started, it was the Sioux Falls Area Literacy Council, and they were a prison ministry. And so they would go up to the prison. They would work with the inmates there when they'd come out on parole and probation. And then it became a kind of a recognized nonprofit, and they did the exact same work. Um, and then over time, it just, they continue to work with people, mostly in the prison system or older kind of white folks who maybe dropped out of school at the eighth grade or fourth grade when they had to go help their dad. There was a lot of men in the program. Well, as Sioux Falls really became a melting pot and much more you know, um, diverse population. Mm -hmm. By the time I started coming on nine years ago, we were really serving a much more diverse population than what we had been in the past for the past, you know, 20 years. And so primarily who we work with now is mostly um, English as a second language learners. And that's really probably our target population at this point. So who inspired this program in particular? Was it just when the inmates first got involved with it? Or is it what you said? It's just Sioux Falls is always changing. I mean, I think the I think the thing that it, I mean, literacy has been a, the people who started the program. Literacy was it really impactful for them. I mean, literacy impacts every single aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it impacts your ability to get a job. It impacts your ability to provide for your family. It impacts the ability that you can have in your community. It it changes the dynamic of whether you're in poverty or not. And so that's really what started that program for people because about 80% of our population that's um, incarcerated would have low literacy skills. And that has not changed like in 20, 30 years that we've been doing this, that statistic still is there. They have a really great educational program at the penitentiary and in the jail program. But still, there's there's a reason that people make choices because they might, they might not feel like they don't have another choice because of low literacy skills or the environment that they're living in. And so we just want to be able to provide an opportunity non-judgmentally to say, you need a leg up, you need to help up. Can we help you out? So what was the goal back then of Reach Literacy to what it is now? Or is it still kind of similar? It's pretty much the same. We don't charge for our services. We really just want to provide an opportunity for people to expand their skills. And we do a lot of life skill building because the part of that you're also looking at with literacy is, can I read well enough to fill out a job application? Can I read well enough to um, fill out a home application? I mean, I have a gentleman that um, I met when I first started working at Reach. He'd been at Morell's for 27 years in the exact same position. 
and he never applied for a different position because he couldn't read and he couldn't write. So he didn't know how to fill out the paperwork and he didn't want to tell anybody. And so his wife was dying of cancer and she said, you have to learn how to read before I die because you have to be able to take care of yourself. She was kind of the one that took care of him. He raised four kids, put them through college. They didn't have any idea that he didn't know how to read and write. Um, super wealthy. He had um, quarter million dollars worth of cars. So not unintelligent, just didn't have the opportunity. And then life continues on whether you're learning to read or not, you know, so he came back into our program and just, you know, he's not going to go to college, which he doesn't really want to do, but he has enough reading skills at this point that he is able to read uh, legal documents. He can sign paperwork for cars and actually read what he's signing. How many people would you say benefit from reach literacy? Yeah, we're a pretty small organization. So really our goal is to work pe- with really closely people with one-on-one or in small groups. Um, Pre-COVID, we were serving about 250 people a year. Last year, we served about 80. Um, COVID really knocked us for a loop, just like everybody yeah. else. You can't really meet in person. There was no place to meet and people were fearful. What about kids, teens, adults? Is, is it really a program for anyone? Um, I mean, for the most part, our program has been an adult program. Just like I said, this last year, we've really looked at. So about five years ago, I had an idea to start a bookstore. And so we started our uh, Reach a Reader bookstore. It was kind of a whim. Um, People would drop off books at our office all the time because their thought was, well, if you just give books to people, then they'll be able to read. And that's a great idea. I wish that worked like that. It doesn't. But (laughs) it'd be great if you could just put it under your pillow and then you would learn how to read. But it got me thinking that why couldn't we do a bookstore? So I asked my board. I was like, hey, what do you think about starting a bookstore? And I think they thought like I was just going to have like a book sale. So we did a book drive and we collected 17,000 books. Wow. And I didn't have a store yet. So I would recommend you not do that in the future. But that's what we did. (laughs) And then we started a bookstore. We had people that donated space um, and it was small and it's grown um, progressively ever since. We have a really nice space that we're already grown out of over at, at the Western Mall on the backside. And we really have utilized that bookstore as a way to tie into literacy for youth, too, because um, literacy starts at home. Mm-hmm. So you want parents reading. And so if we can attack those parents who are not being as good readers as they could be to read to their kids. But at the same time, if we can donate books back to teachers or do summer slide and get books back into the hands of kids, now you've got uh, working on both sides. You've got books to kids. Kids want you to read. And we're just, like I said, just kind of foraying into um, doing some stuff with uh, elementary school. I want to go back to what you said about your work with the inmates. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of those times, um, inmates, inmates that do want to enhance their education, so to speak, do want a job out of prison. But would you say giving them a chance to read motivates them to have a better better life for them once they are out of jail? Yeah, it's tough. I think the thing that's hard is, you know, when you, when you come out of any, any type of environment, whether you're in prison or anything, let's say that we get a lot of calls for people who are homeless or things like that, too. You really have to have, feel like that your bases are taken care of. Are you fed? Are you clothed? Are you housed? You know, that kind of thing. So for a lot of people, sometimes, particularly prison inmates, too, they want to have a job right away, whether they can read or not, because that's how I'm going to support myself and take care of myself. And then as they go, they might find like, you know what, I could I could use some more help. 
I, you know, I know that I'm not so great at this. So if I could have more skills, I could, I could move up the chain. We do a lot of, um, well, we've been on hold for a little bit, but we're just getting back to, into it. We do a lot of workplace tutoring. So we go actually on site to the workplace and tutor. So for example, we'll tutor on site at Avera and Sanford and some of our construction companies. And we're working with those folks who are um, in environmental services or in positions where uh, literacy isn't as important as it might be in something else. But all those employers want is for their folks to stay employed with them and to potentially move them up, like a pathway to promotion. Okay, well, um, Raul's really a great worker. Can, does he know enough language skills? Does he have enough language skills that we can promote him to be in a supervisory position or oversee or teach somebody else? And so the goal is always, whether you're an inmate or anybody else, is to continue to give people that opportunity. Not everybody wants it, but an opportunity to succeed and do what you want. If you are just listening, Paige Sarda, she is the executive director with Reach Literacy. She is in the studio with me right now. So when someone is reading for the first time, learning how to read, where do you even start? It's hard, right? Like, yeah. particularly for um, the hardest part, if you are an English speaker, it's still hard, but you have all the knowledge that you've had from listening, mm-hmm. right? So you already have a base of context, right? But if you had to turn on uh, Spanish radio and listen to there, you don't have any context for what they're saying, right? right? And so a big part of uh, for us when we're working with folks, particularly who speak a second language, is figuring out, um, are you literate in your own language? Do you, can you read and write in your own language or not? And then we just start, you kind of just start from square one. The hardest part for us and for anybody is folks who didn't have that um, opportunity in their own country. So they might only speak a tribal language or maybe they'll speak Arabic, but they can't read Arabic and they can't write Arabic Mm. per se. That's just an example. Um, And so you have to, you have to learn a whole, you have to integrate the whole English language because it's a completely different context, right? So it's a completely different language. You don't have any background in it. So that does take a really long time. Folks that have had some schooling, it comes a little bit quicker because you already have a base of knowledge that you're working from. You you understand how words go together. You understand how to write. You, you, you know, we have people who've never held a pencil before. Oh my gosh. So just, you know, that concept is really foreign. Um, so if, depending on, we, we test everybody, we assess everybody and kind of put them into different groups so that they find success wherever they're at. So for our really lowest level learners, our goal might be just to get you to, we're not going to teach you to read or write right away we want you to be a communicator can you communicate with somebody that's the first thing right like can you say hello can you can you ask for help at your work can you ask for directions if somebody at work says um can you get me the nurse you can help them with that so that's a that's a big part for us. And then as we move up the chain, we just add more skills. So as you get farther up, we might teach you. Now we're going to start working on writing. But you have to have mastered some of that other stuff first because you need a background. Would you say some of your readers or clients, I'll call them, do they watch soap opera television? Because I know um, back in the day, I know if someone were to come here to America and learn English, they do use television right. as a form of teaching themselves English. Very much. There's a lot of our folks who are, yeah, they're, they're, it used to be more at the library, they would rent all the movies mm-hmm. and just watch movies in English because you do, you pick up the nuance of what's saying. You might not understand all of it, but you get the nuance yeah. of what's happening. Um, slang is really hard for a lot of people. There's a lot of slang terms and people don't they're like, I don't know what that, like two is really hard because two is 16 different ways of like, it's a number, it's a two as an also, mm-hmm. it's a connector or, so we have that, but we still have a lot of people that watch a ton of TV as using <laughs> their, that guideline just to, you know, what you hear from a lot of people, I watch a ton of TV. 
And I've tried it. I've tried it. I'm not very. I don't know how they do it. They must, you know, exceptionally smart. I've tried watching like Telemundo, and I'm like, I still got nothing. Oh, I've had eight years of Spanish, and I still know <laughs> nada. <laughs> right. That's as far as I can go right. with that. Right. What's a success story that you can share, or a couple of stories that yeah. you can share? Well, Richard's one of them that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. The guy that you know, and um, really just worked hard. I mean, it's not easy to learn to read. Um, I think the other thing that we're really proud of for some of our folks, um, reading is a really it's people always like, well, how long does it take somebody to learn to read? They just want it to be like, you should just be able to spend the weekend and learn it. And I'm like, well, okay, we'll go learn Russian in a weekend. Well, it's not like that. I'm like, it's it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. Um, And so for us, a lot of it is, you know, that success inside where we have people who are when people get their citizenship or when we have folks who um, have gotten a skill, they've mastered enough skill and then they can move up and get promoted inside, you know, their workplace, whether it's Avera or Sanford. We have a program now that we're working with Hope Coalition um, and Hope Coalition does a lot of preschool programs. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of that same sort of focus where it's really important for your kids to learn because it makes your parents come along for the ride a little bit. Um, And so we're really focusing on mothers in that program because mothers are the most impactful thing for a kid's educational ability. And we're Mm -hmm. not discounting dads, but moms just have a lot of power in that. So if moms are present, moms are working on that child's education, they're about three times more likely to be um, literate than kids who moms are kind of checked out about that. So we're really focusing on that. We have a program that's really great where they can be in person, but they can also Zoom. Um, and once they've gotten that technology down, we had a mom that couldn't make it to the meeting. She was on her way to Brookings, and her husband is driving, so she Zoomed in, like, right there in the car so she didn't miss class and could still participate and still could ask questions and do all that. We have moms that have kids on their laps, and the kids are translating at the same time we're having, you know. So wow. I think I think all of that, just really um, giving people that opportunity or the ability to have somebody who cares about you enough that we want you to, we want you to do this. What's the most rewarding part for you about your position and just seeing people learn how to read? I think it's that. I mean, I think that the opportunity that we take for granted being able to read. I've been able to do this my whole life. That's that's as far as I've known I've been able mm-hmm. to read, right? I don't know anything other when I couldn't read. And I there isn't it's there are times when I don't feel smart enough because, you know, I don't know law or I don't know whatever, but I've never really come across something where I'm like I don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand that. And I think ha- giving people that opportunity to feel empowered and be more connected, it changes the dynamic of your community to have people who want to participate, who want to be part of the school, who want to be part of the community, who want to integrate in. But but having that language barrier really prevents people from doing that. So if I can see people more integrated, um, taking part in the school system, having a much more diverse group of friends, um, getting promoted at their workplace. That's amazing. Paige Sarda, she is the executive director with Reach Literacy. She is in the studio with me today. Now, we've already been hinting at this, but um, we're living in a strange time. There's no two ways about it. The COVID-19 pandemic really shook the world in more ways than one. Reach Literacy is one of the many organizations that had to adjust to the new normal methods. How did you first react to the pandemic? What were your first thoughts as an organization? Right. We were, uh, I mean, everything we do is in person and it's very hands-on, mm-hmm. you know, teaching is a very hands-on thing. Um, and a lot of our counterparts in other parts of the world and country d- did immediately jump to Zoom. Well, 
I'm just, have you ever taught your older parent or grandparent how to use a computer yep. or a phone? <laughs> so it's like that. Mm-hmm. And so, but if you don't, if you aren't there in person with them, that's just incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't able to tutor at the hospitals because they were closed. Right. And so that basically shut that off. And then we also tutor, um, have classes at the libraries and that was shut off. And our in-person people were like, and we had a lot of people who were fearful of contracting COVID. So yeah. we basically had a halt to all of our tutoring for a good nine months. Wow. So what we did instead was really looked at that as an opportunity for us to relook at all of our material and thinking, okay, well, if this is going to happen, it's the reality is that it could happen again. And or what, how do we make this work for us in a different way? So we really looked at all, a bunch of curriculum. We didn't jump into anything right away and found a curriculum that we really like that allows for um, a hybrid program. So we can meet, we can be in person, we can do virtual, we can do um, a combination. So right now we've been piloting for this last little bit and we really like where we're at is people can meet Um, in person and then they can zoom if they need to the great thing about it um, going forward is that if you miss a class at one place you could pop in and pick that up at another time Mm -hmm. the other thing it allows for is for folks to use their own technology that they have so they if they have a tablet they can load this program up on the tablet because it's cloud-based if they have a phone they can load the program up on their phone so they can go in after hours and still work on the stuff even when they're done and we are seeing them do that and that makes a huge difference in their learning curve was it just odd to have everything stop because like you like you said you're so used to teaching these people in person and to not have that ability that must have been tough it is tough and i think the i think i felt really guilty that we weren't serving a population but i also felt and we got a little bit of grief people like well you should be doing this and i was like no we shouldn't (laughs) like i don't i don't know what you know we're i'm not going to endanger people Mm -hmm. and that was really a priority for us so um uh, we do know, um, we run into people all the time. They're like, when are you starting again? We're like, well, when when we're allowed or when, you know, people allow that. And we're excited because the hospitals are just starting. We're talking about coming back hopefully in August when precautions are really lifted. Their people are super, like they have been like, when is REACH coming back? When is REACH coming back? And they really want that. So we're we're excited. It's been it's been a long year of kind of waiting for us. But at the same time, it's we've learned a ton of lessons from it. And it's actually forced us to sort of slow down, look at all the materials that we have and really think, is this working for us? And if it's not, what are we going to do different? And so we really took that and used that time that we've had as downtime to really rethink and recalibrate the way we're doing work. Overall, how do you think people reacted to the changes that you were making during COVID? Um, It's been positive. It was a little hard to explain to people at first, Mm -hmm. but now that we've shown people and they're seeing it, they're like, we love this so much easier. Um, it's a little bit of technology up front, mm-hmm. but we have that. We Once we've taught people, they're like, oh, I can do this because it's on their own phone. It's a technology they're already comfortable with, so they're not learning a whole new program. Mm-hmm. And it's basically you know, a click, click, click. You're touching something like, here's how you log in. You just push the button. And so that's been really great. And the fact that we're seeing people log in after hours, we know that that's, I mean, we've never, we never had that before. And so we know that that's a success. Did you ever think that you would have to navigate an organization like Reach Literacy through a pandemic? Why or why not? No, it's, I mean, I don't think anybody did. It's, it was really <laughs> tough also to um, manage your budget. I mean, there's a, we, we fared very well, but that's mostly because I'm stingy. <laughs> um, the bookstore definitely helped. The bookstore was a saving grace for us. You know, even though that was something that kind of started on a whim, that was really a nice place for people to 
step up and um, support reach in a completely different way. Events and fundraisers are usually the reasons why organizations like Reach are successful. And you actually launched the first Reach Literacy Zoomathon. So tell us about that event. Who participated? Where was it held? And for how long? Right. We've usually done in person, but um, this year we did a little bit different event. We did um, a readathon, and it was a 12 hour readathon. And what we did is we had people that would zoom in and they would read something that was their favorite book, something they loved, a poem, an essay, a section from a book. And they would read for 10 minutes at a time. And it was it was incredibly fun. I was really surprised by the turnout and the amount of people that said yes right away without even asking. We just had, you know, we had the mayor that did it. We had Billy Sutton that did it. We had Delta David Geyer. He's from the symphony. I mean, just a whole like conglomerate of people that said, I love this. And what I thought was really great about it is that these are just people that really love reading and it's really nice to sort of geek out about that. And <laughs> and just, you know, we talk a lot about literacy, but at the core of that is that love of reading, which is where the bookstore comes from, too. But just that um, how reading transports you to a whole, you know, when you read, you get transported to a whole nother life, person, community, environment, world. And I think that's what I thought was amazing about it. You were you were talking to me earlier about how this was kind of divided into different sections, this event. So talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we've I've seen a couple of other organizations around the country that did it and did like a theme, maybe like home or something like mm. that. Um, I was telling you that we had, you know, we had over 70 readers and nobody chose the same book. But we also gave little themes. So like in the morning, the first thing in the morning was like motivational, inspiration. And so people really read, somebody read something that was a little more faith-based. Another person read stuff that they really felt like was really empowering, impactful for them and kind Mm -hmm. of how they live. And one person read about like the four truths. And the cool thing was it's like a lot of books that I've heard about that I'd never read. And I was like huh, I might want to take a look at that. We had a whole children's story hour. The library did a whole um, kids book section. They read, um, I don't know if you remember that book, you know, Brown Bear, uh, What Do You See? Black yes, Bear. And yes. then they, she read it once and then she did a rap about it. <laughs> so I'm just going to say she was not the best rapper, but it was really funny. A and I, effort, right? Yeah. And another lady had her kid and they read a book about crayons and the girl was like super excited because she was a new reader and she did fantastic. And Avera had books that Tom Roberts had written and they gave us for those to give away for like you know, prizes. Mm -hmm. It was just a lot of fun, I think, to have all these people. We had a whole history section and they did talk a little long because, you know, history people like to chat. Um, Yes. (laughs) But I think that's what I really liked about it. We had a sci-fi section. We had kind of a mystery. Um, At the the end, we had um, Boss's Comedy Club came in and they told really terrible jokes. Not like, not just like bad dad jokes and (laughs) stuff like a bunch of puns. And I was like, it was kind of a nice way to just end a really long, fun day. So, I, I thought it was very fun. The broadcast, the broadcast theater came and recorded some stuff in-house for us, and we played those. Um, the uh, Augustana students did a bunch of Shakespeare pieces. Nice. That was really, and that was really great. I, just, I really enjoyed the variety and um, enthusiasm that people had. And then you said this was an all-day event, right? Like 12 hours, 7 to 7? Yep. Jeez. And nobody missed their slots. Nobody. We had, I, we talked originally about doing a 24-hour, and I was like, mm, let's try 12. Because I, I, you know, it's a first time out. It mm-hmm. could have been like a hot mess or been okay. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe next year we'll try 24 hours and 
it, things could get crazy in the middle of the night. But for right now, I really enjoyed the 12 hour. I thought it was perfect. A lot of people had it on during at work and they just listened to, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't necessarily on camera, but they listened to it while everybody else. And you just got a snippet for what people read. And because there was so much variety, I think there was a lot of people were like, I, I might read that. I've never seen that before. Now, obviously, it sounds like this was a huge success. Do you hope to have an event like this in person at one point, or do you just like having it online because of how long it can go? Yeah, I mean, I, we, I think there's other places that have done it in person, mm-hmm. but what I liked about this is that you could, I think some of the advantages you're finding for Zoom is that you could still participate and not have to leave your office. And you can still be supportive of an organization even if you're not there physically in person. We still did a silent auction. People could buy tickets. They could um, do a premium ticket. They could get a T-shirt. You know, so there was lots of different ways for them to support us. I mean, potentially I could see us having some stuff in person. Maybe, you know, they do live, you know, theater and we go, we zoom in from you know, a theater group mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I don't know that I'd be as interested coming and watch somebody reading live. I think it, I think I really enjoyed not having to leave my office. I thought that was a perk. What are some other events that Reach Literacy has to offer? Yeah, we're pretty tiny, so we don't do anything gigantic every year. But we always, um, what, we do a lot of sales. And so we might have a bag sale or we might have 99 cent book sales. Um, on Fridays right now, during the summer, we do free book Friday. So anytime you come in, there's a whole table of books that are free. So if you want to pick a book out, you sure can do that. We do um, a lot of teacher grants where we give away 25 books to teachers. All they have to do is apply online. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done in the past um, Harry Potter birthday party in July. Yes, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> we Last year, we couldn't do it in person. Yeah. Um, the first year that we did it, we expected like 50 people because we were like, I don't know who loves Harry Potter here. And we <laughs> had like 200 people and we were not ready for that. Oh my then gosh. we did a bigger, a bigger like Harry Potter block party and we had a lot of the people at the Western Mall that participated and we had we only sold 300 tickets because Hogwarts only has so many students that come, right? Very clever, but, yes. Um, we had about 1,500 people that came and watched and just wanted to see what was happening and everybody dressed up. It was a lot of fun. So we were all set to do this gigantic Harry Potter Black Party, which did not happen. So we really are think we're trying to decide if we do it this year or not because we're just depending on what happens with COVID stuff. Right. So if things loosen up enough and we have enough people vaccinated and people feel safe about that, then we'll probably try to do the Black Party. But if not, we might hold off one year and swing around and do it the next year. So if anyone from the community wants to get involved with Reach the Literacy, can they volunteer to say teach someone how to read or even to read to them? Yep, we do. Um, so on our website, you can go and there's a whole section on volunteering. You, if you want to be a bookstore volunteer, you just want to hang out, check out books, sort books. Um, wait on customers. It's kind of fun because you usually get first dibs on what comes in. You know, <laughs> we get we get about 100 to 160,000 books donated to us a year. So it's a lot of books to go through. So that's a great way to volunteer. But if you really um, have a passion for reading and you want to do that, you can volunteer to be a you know, be a reader program that will start back up in the fall. Um, and you just have to do a short training for that. Or you can do uh, be a more, of, a more of a tutor. You don't have to teach as much as you used to with our new curriculum. We have a, a primary teacher, and you're more of a host and a, and a helper in the room. So you still help people walk through the, the materials. This is what they're trying to say. Here's the questions they want you to answer, that kind of stuff. And Paige Sarda with Reach Literacy is in the studio with me. Now, Paige, one more time. Who can they call? What is the website? 
website and where are you located for people who are interested in reaching out to helping you guys or even if they need your assistance? Sure. Um, we're on all social media, so you can find us on you know Facebook and Instagram. We're on the south side of the Western Mall, so our door faces the parking lot. We're right between Kids to College and Minor Brewing. So if you come in later in the afternoon to see us, then you can pop over to Minor and have a drink because they don't start till 3. <laughs> Um, if you go to our website at reachliteracy.org, there's a, a tab on there that says, how do I volunteer? And you can just fill that in and then somebody gets in contact with you. All right. Paige Sarda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Suffering from fear, depression, anxiety, or loneliness? If so, there's hope. The power of prayer can transform your life. At Direct Line Prayer Center, we're here to walk beside you and take your issues of life to the giver of life. Our prayer team is ready to pray for you in person, by telephone, or via email. To learn more, check us out at directlinesd.org or call 605-274-9274. With so many myths about the COVID-19 vaccine, it's important to know the facts. Every COVID-19 vaccine goes through rigorous testing to show that it's safe and effective for patients. Similar to the flu shot, the most common side effects of the COVID-19 vaccines are injection site pain, soreness, and swelling. These side effects show that a vaccine is working and your body is building an immune response. Get vaccinated to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Learn more about the COVID-19 vaccines at SanfordHealth.org. When approaching a highway construction zone, slow down. I am Trooper Devon Clark of the South Dakota Highway Patrol. Always slow down to at least the posted speed limit when going through a construction zone. That way you can protect those working on the highways and you can be prepared to stop if necessary. And slowing down in construction zones can also save you money because speeding fines are doubled in work zones. Help everybody stay safe. Sunday Focus is a public affairs program of Results Radio, Town Square Media, Sioux Falls.